Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to another very, very special episode of the Gestalten podcast. My name is Martin, and I am the managing director here at Concept House and also your pretty much now daily host or like weekly host of the Gestalten podcast. And for everybody who's asking the question again, I am not by myself. I have a very, very special guest. This very, very special guest is unfortunately not Eric because Eric is on holiday, but I would like to very, very much welcome um, the, I would have to say, almost celebrity recently with all the kind of footage that you've gotten in, in terms of the media. Uh, a very, very warm welcome to uh, Carlos Salaf. How you doing, Martin and crew? Uh, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. It's cool to, to talk for a bit. Yeah, we're, we're very, very excited actually to have you on board as a whole thing. We've been looking forward to this actually for quite some time because... Um, there's not that many people that, that have done what you've been doing over the past few years, um, that we will jump into this pretty much in, in, in the next few minutes. But, um, why don't you tell our listeners or give them a little bit of an overview, uh, what you've been doing and, uh, over the past, you know, 10 years or pretty much in your career. And of course, uh, what you've been doing, uh, as a little bit of an overview over the past, like say two, three years. Sure. Well, I've been designing and um, <laughs> currently I'm building a, a bespoke supercar company. So it's more about kind of an artist patron type of relationship uh, where I work directly with the client to to create something beautiful that's sort of tailored to them. And um, yeah, that's that's currently what I'm doing. But I was working in the industry for a while Um I I worked at Mazda for the longest stretch. That was from two th what was it two thousand three to twenty twelve, and okay. that was in the Southern California Design Studio um, in Irvine, California, and that was really a a special time to be there for sure. Um, it was it was a time when Ford uh, had some um, ownership from a corporate standpoint in, mm -hmm. in Mazda, and there's this kind of cross pollination happening with with the leadership of, of uh, Lawrence Vandenacker, kind of mm -hmm. bringing his his style sensibilities and design sensibilities, and and bringing that together with some of the discipline and passion, you know, from the Japanese side, and they mm -hmm. were allowing us to do a lot of exploration and. Um, that was a, a wonderful time to to be there, um, and I feel really just grateful that I was able to experience that. Um, I would say after a while working in the industry, I um, I wanted to do something more independent, and as many of us do, and try something. Maybe I'm just a glutton for punishment and always want to do it the hard <laughs> way. <laughs> but I try something and go out on a limb and um, create a structure where I could express myself more artistically. Yeah. I mean, we, we have to be very, very honest. I mean, I can, I can say this from my, from my own personal experience, a lot of designers, especially within the car industry, you know, they're working for the big companies and let's say they're very comfortable and their kind of biggest challenge or what they really want to do is to create their own car. You know, it might not be a supercar, might be like, you know, any kind of car that you can imagine, but um, let's, let's be straightforward here. Not a lot of them and almost none of them actually has the balls to do that straight up. Yeah. And say like, look, I'm, I'm doing my own car. So what, what was it that, that really pushed you to say, look, I'm leaving Mazda now and I'm going to do my own car 
or my own company that you know builds cars for you know on a bespoke level yeah i don't know if it's balls or just something i felt like i just had to do it's something i started obsessing about probably around 2008 and you know once i had i had an opportunity to leave in a responsible manner where i could support my family um around 2012 um so I, it took a little while till i was able to do it but that was still the dream and I had a little seed money that I could use at that time to start to build this. And I just felt like it was just a fire in me that if I didn't do it, I'd feel like just, a, I'd be a miserable asshole. And I would just, <laughs> you know, be just not, ha- not happy person, an unhappy person if I didn't try to pursue this and see what happens. And, um, it, and, you know, it's, I feel like it's, it's still ma- definitely a work in progress. There are tons of things I see that I want to improve or change, mm-hmm. you know, in many respects, but it's sort of one day at a time and I'm still here. <laughs> I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't died in the process yet. So, uh, you know, one day at a time and, you know, plug in away. But, um, yeah, it was definitely something that I was, am very passionate about and, and felt like I would really regret if I didn't try. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, give us a little bit of an insight because like most of the people listening to the podcast and like, you know, they, they, they work within studios or they have at least studio experience. Now, it sounds to me from everything that I've seen, and obviously you shared a lot of stuff on, 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 um, on social media, gave the people a little bit of an insight. You obviously had a team behind you, but what was that really for you? Like, you know, the situation was like, look, what, that this is what I had to do. I mean, everybody knows you can sketch. What did you do? I mean, did you start doing like 3D modeling yourself? Like, did you have any kind of, you know, clay that you've been working with? Or how can we imagine like, you know, uh, Carlos starting up his own company and building his own car? Man, Martin, it wasn't a linear process for me at all. <laughs> well, you and mean I, no, yeah, no, no yeah. master process at all? <laughs> well, some of that, yes. Some of it, no. Um, I kind of took with me what I knew from you know the way the industry does it and also thought about ways I could bypass some of that as well and also ways I could bootstrap it with the mm-hmm. you know, much smaller resources that I have. So the, the first... The first idea that I had was actually when I started to build this electric supercar that was the, is the C1 model. I don't say it was because mm-hmm. it's still something I hope to get back to soon, but it's the, the C1 model with the central driving position. And originally that was going to be all electric. And I started building that uh, in the computer first, um, just 3D modeling it and sketching it. And process-wise... Because I don't have to convince somebody to to make my design, mm-hmm. I did a lot of just quick chicken scratch and then threw it into the computer and s- quickly um, worked on uh, just to see if it would work in 3D. And very quickly yeah. you realize a lot of those ideas just don't work in 3D and you go back and you go, oh, and you kind of sketch around and more a little more chicken scratch. Maybe this will work. Maybe that'll work. And I find that process very liberating and fast, just being able to work directly in 3d with Mm -hmm. 2d um sketching just real quickly um and i took that i made i made an early model took sections from that and actually my first work was actually right into full size with cardboard sections and plaster and i started to build a fuselage form with that and i think after a while i thought you know this is um this is not exactly the direction I want to go. I want to try doing this 
actually with aluminum and actually bringing in some old school handmade process into it. So I made a, again, not linear at all. <laughs> so I made a, uh, I laser cut a buck, um, full size buck yeah. and started working on that in, in, um, uh, with a partner, um, who does aluminum work here in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Pete's, Pete's coach building that they do a lot of Porsche stuff, a lot of restoration work. And I saw that he had a clear understanding of the 3d process. And if I gave mm-hmm. him a buck, he could, he could work with that, a pattern, so to speak. And we worked on that for several months while I was working on a chassis from scratch. I made I made models out of uh, balsa wood of the chassis of the frame and worked out suspension kinematics and then realized that there's stuff with roll centers and suspension geometry that is just beyond me in terms of experience and yeah. brought on another guy um, who started to, to build the chassis and long story short, that ended up being a disaster and <laughs> that person, um, let's just say that um, it was a disappointment. Um, and I lost a lot of time and money working on that. Mm-hmm. And that was the first really hard kind of gut check. Like, do I want to keep doing this, you know, or do I to go back and get a job again? And that thought to me was just unthinkable. <laughs> so <laughs> just um, pulled together resources and decided, okay, I'm going to put that one on the back burner right now. And I'm going to work on something completely different. Just yeah. I have other ideas in my sort of mental reservoir. You know, as a designer, you just have so many ideas pent up all the time that you need to express. Yeah. So I was like, well, this is an opportunity to express something different. But this time I'm going to use a an existing chassis, which I guess mm-hmm. is like what the smart money does. But I had to do it the hard way first. And um, so I decide, decided on a Lambo chassis. Um, just because of the, of the a Gallardo chassis specifically to make it a coach yeah. build and work with a chassis that's really well, well flogged, so to speak. It's been in racing. It's, it's a, you know, well-tuned machine and has a beautiful engine, which is really bulletproof. And I thought, yeah. you know, that's got a lot of room for, and it comes in a manual, you know, yeah. a lot of, Very room important. For, um, yeah, a lot of latitude creatively that, you know, things you could do with that. And, Felt it was a good canvas for a yeah. uh, an exterior design as well. So that's the 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 way that I went with that. And how did you I remember what the original question was? To be honest, <laughs> that, that's, that's fine. <laughs> we, 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 that, that's that's all good. That's all good. Um, my question, obviously, I mean, how did you how did you decide on the Lambo? Um, was that just by chance? Because like you know, you like the proportions, or like you know, like you like the wheelbase, or you like, let's say, the, um, the, 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 the customization that you can do with it or, um, because especially here in Germany, just to give you a little bit of an idea, um, the probably preferred car to do something similar to what you did is the Audi R8. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's so easily customizable. Um, you have especially some, you know, parts such as the, 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 the side mirrors and stuff like that. Um, they're so complicated to get approved over here in Europe is that they're saying, look, those are looking nice. They work like, you know, we can just leave it all in the same. So the people use them for very practical reasons and, you know, because it's easy to, uh, to customize. What was your main motivation to use a Lambo and maybe not like, you know, uh, I don't know, like a McLaren or a Ferrari? Um, and I want to say besides the financial points, because I think <laughs> um, if we start talking about the financials in detail, um, you know, you, you've probably used or you, you might have used a different car. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a huge part of it. I mean, the McLaren tub is such a nice, nice thing to build around and it's very compact and you can build subframes for it. So that might have been it. But then again, I wanted a more kind of emotional engine, mm-hmm. something, something that could be naturally aspirated still if people wanted that. And, you know, I liked the, the manual transmission as an option. Um, so I did the, the Giardo just kept coming back and, and I thought about the, um, just the availability of that car as well. They made quite mm-hmm. a few, 14,000 of them. So they're quite plentiful. They're quite modular uh, compared to other cars. Um, the transmission engines, as I said, are very stout. Um, they take, can take a lot. I mean, people are turbocharging them here to like 1,000, 2,000 horsepower and they don't explode. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a lot you can do with it. And I like that you can also make it a full out ra- full on race car if you want to do that. Um, so that, that became the choice. And then why not an R8? I did look at the R8 as well, but I felt like from a proportion standpoint, um, really the only part that I used from the exterior is the, the, the glass and mm-hmm. the front area of the, of the roof rail. Um, everything else went, but on the Gallardo, I preferred the profile of the, the roof, uh, for what I wanted to express in the proportions of the cabin. Um, yeah. the R8 is quite, quite a bit larger, um, and didn't quite have the, the gesture that I was after to, yeah. to build around. I mean, that, that, that brings me to exactly that kind of uh, question. I mean, you know, when I, when I look into the car, it has, from my perspective, some, very, very good inspiration from, you know, let's say the, the, the Ferrari F40, for example, some of the older Italian cars, very, very traditional, very actually simple, uh, in that kind of sense. Yeah, um, yeah. W- where did you, where, where did, where did your inspiration come from, uh, from, 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 from making the C2 in particular, of course? Um, what, what was your intention? Where was the inspiration coming from? And, you know, what, what is it that you, that you wanted to show when, when this car was then presented at Pebble Beach? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always been interested in contrasting ideas. And with this car, it was exploring vintage values and modern design. So I, want, I wanted to bring in my love of old racing cars. And thus you have the, the, the manual shifting and the naturally aspirated V10 and um, and a lot of the cues that I brought into the interior with aluminum, real aluminum, sw- you know, switches and the, the distressed leather, a lot of that is really expressed in the interior. The exterior is quite a modern statement, I would say. But, um, you know, and, and on that side of things, um, I wanted to see what I could do with construction of the body that was different. Um, and that that's obviously going to be polarizing, but I wanted to do something more architectural and see if I could, you know, really um, hone in on this blend between tessellated geometric surfaces and blends between the surfaces. Whereas Mm -hmm. traditionally you have Lamborghini, for example, doing um, these stealth-like surfaces, and then you have Ferrari doing more kind of sinuous or Jaguar doing more kind of sinuous surfaces. And I wanted to explore a contrast kind of in the middle that explores both sides and marries those two, two things. Um, and so, yeah, on the interior you have these kind of modern take on toggle switches and, and then on the, you know, and, and, um, manual shifting and on the exterior you have this really tessellated kind of, kind of stark in some ways statement. And I just really like the idea of blending those, 
kind of contrasting ideas together. Yeah. I mean, I do have to say, it's just, it, it is very impressive. Yeah. From, uh, from, from a purely, of course, let's say design perspective, because it is also a bold statement um, from, from, from that side, but also, and I, I want to, I want to kind of bring this in. And I think from your experience to, to, to give a little bit back, obviously to the younger people, for example, as well. Yeah. Um, Eric and I, last time when we, when we had a podcast and when we recorded the podcast, we were talking about design schools and, you know, about what they, what they teach, what they maybe don't teach. And <laughs> let's, 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 let's use the example of you doing your own project as the advanced version of the design school, uh, and, you know, producing your own car. Um, what 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 was the most rewarding thing for you in the, in the in the whole process, and what was almost like you know something that might have almost broke you uh, in 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 terms of you know complexity or in terms of a learning process? Um, because I can imagine that you know doing something like that and actually then bringing it onto the road or bringing it into the kind of Pebble Beach uh, is and you mentioned this of course as well is not a really smooth process right away. Wow! Yeah, it's um. Immediately when you, well, I'll just speak from my own experience doing this, I was immediately taken out of my silo working at a car company where you're, you're in charge of one aspect, maybe a part of the exterior, maybe a whole part of the exterior or the interior, and they're usually separate, and then that's separate from engineering, and that's separate from pro project management, separate from PR, from vendor relations. There's just so many things that I didn't appreciate um, about the way that a company functions mm -hmm. and just finding trustworthy people to work with. I mean, that, that was a really painful experience with, for me, just, you know, having people that originally when I started that were just really disappointing and really, really screwed me over on some things. And I just had to get smarter and, you know, wiser. And um, it wasn't the things that I expected that would be the challenging things. Um, And, you know, it was definitely relationships became the yeah. top thing, you know, finding people that I really could trust and um, um, in, in every aspect. And, yeah. man, there's just been so many things that nearly broke me, but it's just that feeling of regret I would have if I didn't just finish and yeah. um, push through it. You know, I just... I don't have that in me to just quit something. I have yeah. to keep pushing. And, and, but there were so many things, I mean, <laughs> you know, some things were just logistics timing, you know, like getting out to Pebble beach was just insane. Like just the logistics of getting it from city to city to be worked on. It went from um, Ohio to Austin, Texas to seaside, which is near Monterey mm -hmm. then to Monterey. And we were, we were working on it through the night until it loaded on the truck the next day, like every last minute. And that wasn't even, that was a, a pit stop that wasn't even supposed to happen. We were supposed to have it done like three days before that. And, and then just like chill out and drink martinis and, you know, until the show, <laughs> right? but that's not how it went. And I had to, you know, call on my, my homies to just come up and um, just help me make it happen. And they did, they came through and um, well, it's all part of the journey, you know, And, you know, there's just been so many times where I'm like, I don't know how this is going to happen, but somehow, yeah. somehow you just keep going and you just do it, you know, <laughs> somehow. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's no playbook for this. And every yeah. day I'm still figuring it out. I haven't, I can't say that I figured it out. I'm just, 
Um, but that's something we- that just going back to school real quick, yep. that's something that you don't learn in school, but, but what you do learn is the skills necessary to do it. That perseverance of getting your projects done and pulling all nighters and just that kind of gut, just that fortitude, you know, and that just figuring out a way, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, a very, very personal question in that kind of regards and, you know, um, how how did this project, let's say, affect your your professional image? Yeah, because I I know people that start companies and they're being like called like, you know, lunatics and crazy people and like, you know, what the what the freaking shit are you doing? You know? Yeah. Um but obviously with all the kind of really positive media coverage that came out of after Pebble Beach and stuff like that and you know, receiving a lot of praise, I mean, how how was that? How, how how do you think you're now perceived? I mean, do people say like, "Look, um, this is a great thing that you did," and like you know, like every every praise you deserve? Are people um, jealous about what you did in a positive way and in a negative way, of course? Or um, are you are you still seen, or you know, not still, but are you seen a little bit as an outsider who kind of quit on the industry to kind of do his own thing? Or how how do you how do you see yourself now, like with let's say five years or so under your belt of, uh, of doing your own stuff? Wow. That's a really good question. I find personally that I just can't think about it too much. I can't think too much about what people perceive of me. Um, mm-hmm. I am a pretty sensitive person. So when people say mean shit, it does affect me. So yeah. like, <laughs> you know, like when I was on the concept lawn at Pebble beach, I heard the praise. I heard, you know, some really moving things actually from people who had been going there a long time. And that meant a lot to me, you know? And then I remember um, like one of the nights right after Pebble, I was just surfing the web and somebody was saying some really, really just hurtful things, mean shit. And I was just, you know, really hurt by that. And I was like, wow, I I guess I was in a bubble. And there are a lot of people that are just, you know, that, you know, are shitting on it. But, you know, I, you know, I, I just can't, I realize I just can't worry about what people think. And of course, like the, the praise and, uh, you know, like the praise for my peers means the most to me, you know, for people in the industry, you know, just their encouragement means a lot to me, you know, and my, you know, my family and my friends, but I just can't worry too much about how I'm perceived, you know, from others. And, um, I just, I can't work and think about the future when that, like, that's in my head, you know, um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to kind of get onto that, because you've mentioned like, you know, you've worked with some really, really amazing people such as Lawrence Vandenacker, um, you know, Julien Montus, I think Derek Jenkins as well, and all those kind yeah. of guys. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when you, when you look into the car right now, um, in, 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 in terms of the development as well, where did those characters, those, um, you know, let's say those, those guys and their, their, their personality affect you the most, A, within, let's say, the creative process of the car, but also in terms of the, um, in terms of the actual execution? You know, like, you know, Lawrence Vandenacker is like this kind of calm, cool guy. Like, obviously, he can go crazy if he wants to. But, you know, like, he has this kind of coolness with him where you just like, okay, let's make this as a decision. You know, did you did you think about, you know, your past with those kind of guys and learning from them while doing the car? Hmm. I didn't think about it too much while I was working on the car. But if I think back, there, all of them, all those guys have contributed 
uh, to my growth as a designer. Um, like I would say Franz taught me a ton just about, about design, about the discipline of design, how to make something work and, and look at the proportion in the surface. And, um, and Lawrence definitely had this way of pushing you to like, explore and explore and explore, you know, and, and until you kind of break out of the original idea that, you, you know, you thought was it, you know, and f- to find something better. And, um, you know, all, all those guys that you mentioned have been, have been very influential on, on me and I'm grateful to have spent the time around them that I did. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, it's, uh, you know, again, I mean, you know, we, we, we cannot say this, um, you know, big enough. You've actually, you know, gotten to the point is where you have a, you know, a proper car standing at the lawn at Pebble beach. And, uh, the, 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 really, really big thing, uh, is not just to have the car, but also to go to Pebble beach. So how, how did that actually happen? Because, I know Pebble Beach is a very, very exclusive event. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, where did the idea come from, from your perspective? Let's let's present it at Pebble Beach. Was that someone at Pebble Beach coming up to you and just like, "Hey, look, we, we've seen your project. Do you want to present it here? Did you apply for it, or how how can we, you know, see that kind of let's call it the PR marketing process of uh, <laughs> of, of of Carlos coming in? It's like, right. oh yeah, shit, we did, we have to finish the car, but yeah, we have to do some marketing for it as well. <laughs> uh, exactly, and it's in the, they totally go in par- parallel. So you're thinking about things kind of, you have to sort of compartmentalize throughout the day, you know, while you do things. But that's um, something that started, I went to Pebble Beach in 2010 and um, that, that was, um, so I just had this feeling at that when I went there, I was like, someday I'd love to have my car on this concept lawn. Mm-hmm. It would just be such an awesome achievement. And it was a dream, I guess, just sort of an emotional gut kind of level of dream. And uh, later on, I sort of, as I was developing this car and thinking about this whole vintage values and modern design theme, I thought more and more Pebble would be a really great fit because of that celebration of the past, you know, and the showcase of the modern that they do every year. And I reached out to uh, the director there, um, Sean Jacobs at Pebble beach. And just, um, I showed him an article that I had gotten into um, Rob Report magazine when I first mm-hmm. um, when I first sort of shared this with the world outside of social media, and um, he saw that article, and I think from that he could see that it would be a cool cool thing to do, and it would be a good fit. And so, yeah, from there, from there, just we developed a plan and, and got it there. So it's, I think it was just um, that we both felt like it was mutually a cool thing to do that would elevate both brands. You know, and I think a yeah. lot of it is just that it's finding partners on the way, Yeah. Um, especially when you're bootstrapping the way I did. You know, people always ask about how'd you do it? How'd you do it? Like from, from a financial standpoint, but you can't really you can throw money at a lot of things. But, um, you know, if you have it, but if you don't have as much, you really have to um, you have to bring people on that share the vision and want to pitch their, you know, and pitch in their creativity. Yeah. And I, I think just by getting out there and doing what I was doing and showing the process of doing this and not hiding it, yeah. um, people saw what I was doing and got excited about it and wanted to take part in it. And just by going and getting out there, that's how I was able to um, find some of the amazing people that I worked with who were part of the, the development team, you know, and to get this out yeah. there. Yeah. And, uh, and I think you've just mentioned, 
um, one very, very important thing that is that comes up in the kind of conversations that, you know, we internally have here as well is that, you know, when you're in this big kind of corporation, you don't even realize how much money is being spent and almost, uh, you know, and also being wasted. Uh, let's be very, very <laughs> yeah, honest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you don't have the money to spend in, 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 you know, in that big amount, then you have to be also quite efficient, uh, in that sense. And you, yes. you, you have to, you have to find some, you know, trickery as well in terms of what, 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 what looks nice and what looks real, but maybe isn't 100% real. <laughs> um, in those, in those kind of division. And that's, you know, that's the, the biggest thing I would say. So if, if somebody would come up to you, yeah, and uh, would ask, Carlos, I have the same kind of idea. What kind of, let's say, three big tips would you, you know, give them on the way uh, to say just like, look, I can give you three, three experience, like, you know, three big experience from my, from my personal point of view that, um, that you should really, let's not, let's not worry about, but be aware about. Hmm. Yeah, I would say just get started and start to build it. Um, if it means working on it at home on, on the computer, building models, um, get it put together a vision and, um, and then share it with people. Don't, don't hide it. Like originally I remember I thought about this a lot because mm -hmm. in the car industry, the strategy is always to hide something into the last minute, you mm -hmm. know, and then ta-da at the auto show, you, you show everybody the cover comes off and, then I thought, you know, there's a lot more value in me actually just showing people the process and showing people what I'm doing and getting my, you know, my creativity out into the world. And I, I really believe that was so key. And, and there are a lot of designers that are just incredible and they have their stuff on Instagram that I follow. Um, and, you know, a couple guys that come to mind are like um, Sasha Slipanoff, yeah. a great friend, and his work is just unbelievably cool, and he always has his stuff out there. And um, Art Martins, and um, you know that that guy's stuff is so rad. And I mean, there's just so many talented people out there, man. And there's so much talent, and there's so many people that are able to do this. And I hope more people do. I hope more people do it. Um, but I would say, yeah, share your work, build it, and don't worry so much about how you're going to do every single step. Yeah. Um, people think like maybe I was born with a silver spoon or something, but that's not the case at all. Um, and a lot of it was, you know, family, friends, like pooling together resources, whether it be financial or just time, elbow grease, yeah. you know, like friends helped me out, like detailing the car, like every little detail. But I think if you put your work out there and, and your friends and family get inspired by what you're doing, then you're, you're building something right there. You know, but if you don't start and you don't show people what you're doing, then you're not going to be able to build that kind of, you know, you won't be able to inspire other people to join in on the vision. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, um, I think this, this is the really, really big advantage of this kind of, you know, age of social media, because, you know, I yeah. think this the, the kind of idea of inspiration that comes with the social, with, with social media is is absolutely incredible i mean you just mentioned sasha but like you know like just look into um uh, you know before we before we started recording we were talking about alain de rosier a little bit and Gigi Mignon, yeah, who did like the 908 uh porsche yeah. concept like you know this is obviously did i think they did like um uh was it like a, a a quarter scale or something like that or like a third scale model then in the end of of of, of the whole thing but 
I remember when that hit and like everybody over, you know, on Facebook was just completely in on, guys, this is amazing. Like, you know, Porsche and in the end featured it. And, um, it's, it's just a bunch of guys that, you know, love what they're doing. And, um, in the, in the end, I think, you know, obviously that the, the time investment from their perspective was the biggest, but, um, it inspired then again, a bunch of other people to do it and, you know, to do their own projects, to do their own, like, you know, 3D models with nowadays with, you know, video games and VR, you can, you can put out just stuff there and the people can look at it and can feed it back to you and stuff. Um, and I think, you know, with, with what you've done, I mean, this has taken it even a step ahead and, you know, really building the whole car, you, you are really in the middle of this kind of generation, um, with, you know, new ideas with kind of sharing the work and stuff like that, because, um, we, we do see this massive split, you know, and you do see like people comment on it. They like it. They maybe even if they don't like it, they give you criticism, but it's constructive criticism and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's just, uh, it's just an incredible kind of time to share all these, um, uh, to share all these things and just, um, it's almost like, you know, going back to the seventies, like, you know, share the love with everything and stuff. But, um, <laughs> I, yeah. I think this is this is what, what what really refreshes the car industry at the moment because let's be very honest and it sounded to me a little bit it was one of the 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 the, the reasons for you why you why you left the traditional industry is you're just getting bored it's doing the same thing all over again and obviously you have some few projects but you're almost in a rut you know and with sharing the work nowadays on social media it's kind of like getting out of the rut and and and, and showing the people what what you know. What, what what other things people think of yeah and you can be yourself and that that's probably the third thing that when you ask for advice i'd say just be yourself mm. don't try to do what you think people are going to want you to do just be yourself like when i think of those people like sasha is a perfect example that motherfucker's himself you know what I mean? <laughs> like he's an original you know and i just that's what i love just seeing people be themselves and um and, and yeah it's completely the such a great time right now where you can do that when you're kind of hidden inside of a car company it's hard to do that and and i grew up you know skateboarding and you know just hip-hop head and just like that kind of culture was always about being yourself yeah and finding finding a way to do something unique find a unique line you know find something a way to express yourself so i think the corporate culture just was not i couldn't wear it for too long it mm. didn't fit me well so I really do feel like the kind of the modern era that we're in so wonderful for that. Like, I mean, Daniel Simon, another one that comes to mind is just work is just so inspiring and mind blowing. And yeah. I'm so happy that there's a tool where he can just keep sharing his stuff, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. and for us to be, all be able to enjoy it and be inspired and kind of keep the creative juices flowing. And, um, you know, not only that, but there's also just the 3d tools that we have now that are, that are so wonderful. Um, I was able to print some really large 3d print, some very large parts on that car, like the side mirrors and the, the headlight buckets. Those were all 3d printed pieces. And, you know, I was, I machined out the molds. Um, my friend Lou in California machined those. And, um, you know, there was a lot of handwork too, but a lot of that, those 3d digital tools are just so wonderful for creating things quickly. And, yeah. Um, or a lot more quickly than it would be, um, and it's and it's you know all by hand, and, and it's it's all very inspiring stuff that um, we can take a hold of right now and and just do it. Um, I don't think we have to wait for anyone's permission. We just just create it, do it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and it's and it's and it's also. I mean, this is the big point about three D printing nowadays. It is relatively cheap. 
you know, like you, you don't have to think too much about the costs. Like, you know, it's coming out in the right way. You know, it is pretty much exactly what you want to do. And, and, and this is another level of freedom is now you don't have to go, you know, to like, you know, uh, a workshop and stuff like that and really have to learn how to weld things and stuff. Like it's really about like, you know, you can do simple things. I mean, you know, look at, I have a, um, you know, a friend of mine, uh, uh, Sebastian Toddenrod, who's working as an interior designer at Byton, you know, he does these little wooden cars and, he, he, I, th I think he did like a 3D print of one of them uh, just to kind of see if everything works and stuff like that. And the 3D print was done in like, you know, like, a, I don't know, like an hour or so, like, you know, the whole thing, including wheels and everything. And you just like, man, like, you know, for those kind of guys, like, you know, that, that, that look for the inspiration that want to create something new, that's incredible tools nowadays. You know, it gives it's you- It's so incredible, man. It's, I'm in awe of it. And, and there's ways to, to find compromises too, like- I, like the mirrors for example i made those i did them fdm you know we you know that process that's um fluid deposition mm -hmm. modeling i think it stands for rather than sla printing i suspect a lot of the designers know what i'm talking about but um an fdm uh process is less expensive you know when you mm -hmm. want to make a huge part and then i went and hand finished it you know so i was able to have a compromise where i was able to put in some of my time you know and get a part less expensive and faster um, yeah, if I was working in the car industry, I would just send it right to the SLA printer, yeah. you know, the high def SLA, <laughs> you know, um, but I didn't have that luxury, but I did have a middle ground where I was able to 3d print this p huge piece. And that did help, you know, help tremendously. So like, there's just, there's ways, there's ways to, to do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's great. And I want to, I want to. I want to ask you something, uh, and if you don't want to answer this question, that's totally fine by me. But um, you spoke about Daniel Simon before as being an inspiration, and uh, he obviously went down a certain kind of route when it comes to like you know as being a designer. Like he is really the he's not just a, a car guy anymore. Like you know he has a passion for cars, but he does all kinds of things nowadays. Now, what what's what's the plan of Carlos Salaf for? you know, a, maybe your company, obviously like doing the C1 and the C3, but, um, what, what are your plans? What can we expect from you? It sounds like, uh, let's say, obviously never say never to uh, quote a lovely James Bond movie about this, but it doesn't really sound to me that you want to go back into the industry in a traditional way. No, no, not at all. I, I want to keep creating, I want to keep delighting people with cars and, keep making them um, in, in the way I described earlier at the beginning of the show, just in, a, in very much a handmade kind of way where it's, it's this direct connection with the customer. Um, but, but I do want to explore many other types of design. Yes. Cars are a passion. I believe they'll always be, but um, there's just so many other things that interest me. Um, I'm very interested with aviation mm -hmm. or aviation's headed. I've always loved airplanes since I was a little kid and, I'm, that's one area I'm very curious about. I would say I'm kind of a vehicle head when it comes to design. And I, I'm, there's something about motion and speed that has always captivated me. And I want to keep designing in that, in that space. Um, so definitely aircraft and, and, and beyond that, you know, where are we going outside of earth? And, you know, those, those areas really fascinate me and I would love to take part in those types of projects. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, I think we've discussed it in a, in, a, in a podcast already, but like, you know, we see more of these kind of 
Uber, like, you know, uh, air taxis. We have obviously, but, you know, here in Germany, like in Munich in particular, we have Lilium, where uh, Frank uh, Stevenson, former McLaren yes. guy, uh, took over yep. and stuff like that. Um, you know, we, we see that this is becoming more and more, and a lot of, a lot of car guys really want to move into that. Um, and I can only speculate, I'm going to ask you the question, is that because, let's say, you, from a traditional point of view, don't like the idea of autonomous driving in terms of what's ahead of us because it takes away a lot of the the actual experience of obviously driving a car. It becomes more like a, a carriage, pretty much. Hmm. I wouldn't say specifically because of that. I, I would like to design an autonomous car at some point and think about it as architecture instead of a car. Um, I, I think we've probably got to stop fighting it and be like, you know what? This, yeah, this is now an interior design project, you know, mm -hmm. in an architectural space, and um, that would be cool. Um, but I, but I still want to curate. I, I hope we don't lose driving. I hope we don't lose that that joy and. and The C2 and the C1 and some of the things I've been doing with my own company have been kind of love letters to that kind of thing, and I hope we never lose that. But at the same time, I, I would love to explore. I'm not at, like resisting the future, and I think it's inevitable <laughs> that you know electric propulsion and you know um, autonomous um, transportation will will be our you know will be our future. And um, I'm very interested in those projects and would like to take that same kind of thinking to the sky as well. And yeah. yeah, I think, I think for a car guy, so to speak, that kind of translation is a, is a natural one because you're already thinking about this moving sculpture and you're already thinking about the, the romance of the vehicle and all of that. And you're, you're just bringing it to a different, different place, really yeah, different medium. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I, do really have to say i think we could continue for hours and hours and hours <laughs> but um i think you know we've we, we, we've been like you know a little bit over 40 minutes and i want to ask you three questions to finish it uh to finish the podcast uh, from my perspective and my first question to you who is the most inspir inspirational designer and it doesn't need to be a transportation designer just a general designer uh, is also okay that has uh, influenced your work oh that's a Good question. There's so many. Um, I would say that Zaha Hadid mm -hmm. blew my mind and still just anything that that studio does continues to blow my mind. Um, the way that she redefined structure and not only the design of it, but the thinking behind the engineering of it and the way engineering and design really are one thing um and yeah i would say her her work has been the most inspiring to me cool question number two if you'd have an in, in you know an infinite amount of money available which car would you buy <laughs> <laughs> this is a tricky one i know this i know this but <laughs> oh man infinite amount of money what car would i buy god hmm i'd probably buy an old race car like um um maybe like that indie turbine car or a I know I only got one, but I'm sorry to think about <laughs> I give that you two as well. I give you two car. if you want to. That was that's probably insane. 
the Brabham fan, the fan car, the suction yep. car. Oh man, Can you imagine? Um, yeah, there's some pretty wild stuff that I would yeah want to experience. It's more about the experience, I'd say. Something like that. Cool. cool. Yeah. And last question: If you could travel back in time, in which decade would you want to live to design the cars? The '60s in Europe. <laughs> in Europe, <laughs> not the American. <laughs> no, there was some cool stuff. I mean, like the Corvette Stingray, it's beautiful. But I, Italian design in the '60s is always, for me, it's it's been the the most beautiful and and inspiring. And not just car design, but just design, just yeah. fashion design, architecture. You know, obviously the cool. Bauhaus movement, but that's uh, starting earlier. So yeah, that's a little bit earlier. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but the '60s is uh, a fascinating era to me. Just the the Saarinen design and the, the obsession with space and the way that that influenced um, yeah. everything, furniture and interiors. And I love artwork from that time. Really kitschy artwork from that time. Yeah, people are flying around like the Jetsons and chilling in tulip chairs, <laughs> and it just makes me feel so happy. There we go. I mean, you know, I, I, I cannot really add anything to that. I, I do love the 60s as well in, in terms of uh, an era. And, um, you know, there is, uh, let's say, um, we will come back to you uh, at some point in the future because I'm very, very much hoping that we will see more from you very, very soon, hopefully sooner than later, the C1 or the C3. Um, but And when that happens, we will do another podcast and obviously we will – uh, we will talk about maybe how, you know, how you've like improved your processes, you know, what you've, you know, brought to the, uh, to the development process from what you've learned now from the C2. But, um, when we do that, uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that, but thank you very much, Carlos, uh, for taking the time. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the, on the podcast. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been, it's been truly inspiring. And, uh, once again, uh, absolutely fantastic work, uh, that you, that you have delivered, uh, recently at uh, Pebble Beach. Thank you, Martin. Pleasure to be here with you guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, uh, to all our listeners, um, you, next time you will probably hear us, Eric will be back from holiday and, um, we will very, very likely preview the LA Motor Show, uh, in that sense. Unfortunately, Carlos, you won't be in LA. Is that, is that right for the, for the show? I can't make it this time, unfortunately. Too bad. Too bad. But uh, yeah, you're, so we will preview uh, the LA Motor Show. And uh, once again, uh, thank you to Carlos for this very special episode of the Gestalten Podcast. And we will be back very, very soon with another special edition. Thank you very much. Take care, guys. Bye. <laughs>